Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. Welcome back, everyone. We are joined once again by that guy who will come and help you move at 10 o'clock at night, Matt Barfield. Hello. And that guy who will schedule an appointment so he misses the whole weekend, Pastor Brandon. Hey, hey. All right. Smart move. Hypothetically speaking, <laughs> of course, right, none of right. this is actually sure, what sure. happened. Names and places change. <laughs> because my life revolves around when you move. Yeah. Well, I'm just... It's not that hard to call up a church and say, hey, this weekend doesn't work. My friend's moving. Right. Uh, All right. So anyway. we're gonna, I need, we really need to walk in the Spirit now. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about... That was a test. Ben, yeah. Uh, we're talking test. about the Holy Spirit, and uh, we're talking about the Spirit of Pentecost. Spirit and Pentecost. If you think about it, Christianity, and from at least from a human perspective, never should have gotten off the ground. Uh, the whole movement was focused on the person of Jesus, and Jesus was a man that we know was publicly executed, came back to life, and then just over a month later, he left. Um, what he left behind was, again, from a human perspective, a ragtag group of uneducated men who, less than a month ago, had fled in terror when their master needed them the most. Expectations should have been low, but on the next major feast in the Jewish calendar, this group shows up to Jerusalem, and uh, they make quite the scene. They begin speaking in tongues, they preach powerfully that Jesus was raised from the dead and that all men must repent and believe in him. And they don't stop even when those same authorities who crucified Jesus start threatening them. And so the question is, what made the difference? How can, this same, how can this be the same group of people? And the answer is that the difference was the Holy Spirit came. The difference was Pentecost. Um, this is a topic, in fact, actually, I'm going <clears> to <throat> throw Pastor Brandon under the bus again here. Hey. When uh, he was walking by my office door last week and he said, Hey, what's next week's lesson going to be on? And I said, Oh, we're going to talk about Pentecost. And his response was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> jokingly, of course. Yes. Sure. Jokingly. I just thought, Oh boy, that's here we go. But, and it's funny that you say that because in my introduction, one of the questions I have here is why are Christians afraid to talk about what happened on Pentecost? And I think that reaction is probably the reaction. A lot of people have, maybe even some of our viewers, if they saw the title of this was the pen, the spirit and Pentecost, like, Oh, Oh boy. Why do we have that kind of a response to this topic? Well, I think it's tied into uh, a lot of things that we usually try to stay away from. I mean, I think your lesson even mentions Pentecostalism, um, and that's not where, where we are. But then also, I, I think that people probably stir away from it because I've been asked questions like, well, why doesn't that happen today? Why doesn't mm -hmm. stuff like that happen today with the Holy Spirit? Why isn't it so evident today? Um, is the Holy Spirit still active? Because it's not happening like it did on the day of Pentecost. And so try to explaining some of those things and working through them is is somewhat of a, a difficult task at times. And people have a lot of different thoughts and a lot of different practices in this realm and in this area of theology. I think people like to normalize things, just generally speaking. Uh, most Americans are way happier living now than if they had lived at the founding of America. Uh, more tumultuous time, a lot more uncertainty, or, or just things are new. People like to get away from the new and get to the normal. And I think, you know, when you have... And that's, that's explainable for other reasons as well, right? When you have the new in Israel as they leave Egypt, um, people that disobeyed like Enoch, uh, Achan, um, they die, right? They, they, you have people being much more disobedient later in Israel, but they don't get stoned like, uh, like Achan did. Uh, you have um, Ananias and Sapphira, right, during, during these early days of the church, mm -hmm. and they lie against the Holy Spirit. And they drop dead. And so I think people look at the beginning of a thing and they, they quickly want to move to some kind of normalization. And so Pentecost represents the beginning, the new. And it's like, well, we moved away from that. Now we're normal. Let's just focus on what we have right now. Yeah. I think those are both 
good. I think they kind of play off each other a little bit yeah. too, you know. So we see it and we we're at the normal and then the question is, well, should this be normal? And some are arguing that it that it should be normal. And Yeah, I mean, no one's writing books about the work of the Holy Spirit specifically in my life because it's not as it's, <laughs> it's not as evident as the day of Pentecost. I mean, that was like a big big moment that um, well, and with the change and new. It yeah. makes you think about like there there is there is something different about how God treats interacts with his people at the beginning of a thing. Yes. Then he interacts with people in the middle at the end of a thing. They, mm-hmm. they just, at least as far as I can tell, they're just not mm-hmm. the same. There's differences in the way that interaction happens. And, and Israel is an obvious one. Right. Um, you know, Moses is going back to Egypt because God told him to, and he's about to get killed because his child hasn't been circumcised. Right. And right? it's like, well, wait, what's going on here? And, yeah. As we read scripture, we think miracles are happening like left and right throughout every day of human history. But if you pay attention to it, it, it's really at the beginning of things. Hey, these amazing miracles are, are here to confirm mm-hmm. this new revelation. And uh, it, it's not as, as normal as we think it was yeah. in biblical times. Tends to focus really on Moses, the law, Elijah. and then Elijah and Elisha, the prophets. Yep. And so those are kind of... Apostles, Jesus. Yeah. And then the yep. apostles and yep. Jesus in the New Testament. So let's take this a step further. Our Maybe our natural inclination is to look at Pentecost and say that's... I think another reason is it's just a little bit confusing. Mm-hmm. You know, you have... I remember... You have the flannel graphs up there where you have the the, the apostles um, in their age-appropriate garb, and then they've got, like, little <laughs> tongues of fire above them, and you're just sitting there. And somehow, Peter looks a, a whole lot like <laughs> Moses did. And somehow it's like a precious moment with <laughs> these little figurines. Well, and you're, I'm sitting there, you know, I don't know, first grade, second grade, third grade, and you're like, wait, tongues of fire? Why are... Why is fire a tongue? Why is it over their heads? What does this have to do with anything? And sometimes we just tell the story to kids, and so you walk away... What was Sunday school about? Um, fire was on people's heads. Oh, why? Yeah, I calls of fire. I don't know, and I think there's confusion there. So, let's say the natural impulse for for some people, maybe for some of us, is to say, "Ah, Pentecost." Um, I had a professor who made the comment once, and it was really impactful for me, just on the importance of reading through the Bible. And he said, you know, God has given us all of this revelation, and if you only focus in on certain parts, your favorite parts, and you mm-hmm. go back and you read those over and over again, and you don't ever read the parts that challenge you, that stretch you, that that aren't the way you think, then you're going to be missing out on the total revelation of God. And that's that. I have found that when I come to something in Scripture that confuses me, or that um, I don't really, you know, I don't understand, or it, maybe it contradicts certain of the ways I might think about things, when I stop and really dig down and study, there's often value there. So let me ask this, what value would be missed if we don't study Pentecost? What would we miss? Well, you know, Israel was commanded after they got through the wilderness experience um, and into the rest of their history, they're commanded to keep feasts that commemorate what happened in the beginning. They have to look back Mm -hmm. to understand where they are. They're no longer walking through the wilderness. They're no longer, uh, you know, creating booths, but yet they have to do that every year. They have to look back and they have to remember. And and that that creates the current culture, the normalized culture around these facts of history that this is God is a God who does things in time with actual people. That is not a myth. It's not like what the heathen have. It's not like Buddhism or Hinduism. It's not like a, some kind of pagan pantheon. This is a actual true historical thing with actual people that actually happened. We have to look back. We have to remember that characterizes what we do now if we remember this correctly. Yeah, I mean, I just started thinking, like, what would we miss? Uh, I'd look back at Acts 1, what Jesus says is going to happen. Ye shall receive power. Um, So we'd we'd miss some of that that power that God is giving us. 
Um, and even even what uh, Peter talks about, he refers back to Joel and Joel 2, and he's saying, hey, this is part of God doing what he said he's going to do, how he's progressing this, and we're going to miss uh, some of the, the steps forward that God is taking in fulfilling his plan and uh, even his promises from John 14 through 16 of, hey, the, the Holy Spirit's going to be going to be in you and you're going to receive power. And we'd miss that moving forward of, of what God is doing in his plan. Yeah, you know, it's it's very important for us to remember what God did and to and to think what is how does that apply to me today and and can I see God work along the lines of what he did is that reality part of is that inform me in a way that changes my current existence there was a, a famous missionary to China from Canada named Jonathan Goforth and he was it's a great name for a missionary I know Goforth is, is an awesome name and uh, he was meeting back in Canada with some of the leaders of the, of the denomination he was in and uh, he referenced, I can't remember the preacher of yesteryear, but he referenced some preacher from yesteryear. And, uh, and they said, uh, uh, do you mean to say we're not far better preachers today than that man ever was? Right. So they're saying, look, we've gotten past this. We've, we've moved on. Look how good we are. Look at the structure we have. Look at the education we have. We're way beyond, I don't know if it was Whitfield or somebody, mm. like we're way beyond that. And, and Goforth just said, are you getting his results? Oof. Is God doing that? Ouch. Another famous story was an evangelical pastor who went to uh, uh, the Vatican, and as he's being shown around by some cardinal or, or, or other, the cardinal says, see, no longer do we have to say with Peter, silver and gold have I none. And the evangelical said, yes, Monsignor, and no longer can you say, arise, take up thy bed and walk. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's very important for us to remember where our power comes from, what that power is meant to do, uh, and, and it's very clearly shown here in the day of Pentecost. This is what you're about. It's still what you're about, even though you live in, in a time that's not the beginning of the thing. And we'll touch on a number of those themes. I kind of want to follow up to that, but let's let's go ahead and dive into this because when we look at what Jesus, when we look at the way Acts one is set up, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. It really is pointing to the fact that the disciples were clearly aware we can't do any of this without the Spirit. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole way this story is shaped and formed, you realize, as we said at the beginning, there's a radical change that takes place. And if the Spirit doesn't come, that change doesn't take place. The church doesn't get off the ground. And the early church, they, they realize that. And if you read throughout the rest of the book of Acts, you're going to read about them praying. You're going to read about the courage and the boldness that they have and the way that God is blessing the results. It's very clear the church did not come about from man. It, it was a divine creation and the thing that can be really easy to forget is that it's still a divine creation today. Amen. And I have to I have to keep my mind and heart in check about this because it can be easy to say, man, look at the, you know, look at the homiletics textbooks we've produced, or look at the technology that we have that we can record podcasts here. Or, you know, I'm sitting here looking at a Word document that I wrote and all the resource. You know, it can be very easy to look at that and think, man, we we've got all the all the perks going that we could ever and forget. No. The Holy Spirit builds his church. He builds Colonial Hills Baptist Church, and he builds uh, every everything out there that's of value is something that the Holy Spirit has built, and it's easy to forget and to lose that core dependence on him. True. So let's um, let's look at this. Can we uh, – uh, so Jesus predicts the coming of the Spirit, and I'll just read uh, quickly for us John chapter 7. In John 14 through 16, we'd already uh, looked at that in a previous lesson, but the Spirit talks about the uh, – Jesus talks about the fact that um, the Spirit is going to come. He's going to send the Spirit. In John 3, uh, or John 7, there's kind of an interesting account here. Uh, they're at a feast, and uh, verse 37, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, 
Let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And if you were sitting there, you might have thought, huh, what does that mean? Well, John explains that for us. He says, but this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So this is really interesting. Jesus is, is telling them, I'm going to send out the Spirit, and he's doing it uh, pretty early in his ministry. We're in John 7. Um, trying to think of a, a good way to launch off a conversation from that. How would this have made sense to somebody in the first century as they're thinking through Jesus as the Messiah and the Spirit and the interaction there? How would all of those ideas kind of have come together for them? You know, there's so many things that he's saying that mu- that must have just been completely bewildering people. And then he speaks in parables. Right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like he gives, he lays out these incredible truths like this. If any man thirst, come to me. I mean, so profound. This is, but you got to. This is a man saying this. Like, if you just said that to me here, I'd be like, "What? You got some Pepsi? Like, like what do <laughs> well, you yeah, got?" I mean, the woman at the well is like, "Give me the water." Right. Yeah. Right. Like, give it to me, please. Right. Exactly. I don't right. want to come back here every day. <laughs> exactly right. So I think that there must have been a lot confusing. And then when you look at the disciples on the road to Emmaus, Jesus says, "Oh fools, slow of heart to believe all the prophets have said." So, so I, I mean, what what do people think of it? They they probably just got very little out of this. I mean, mm-hmm. I think they honestly, um, even people that were, were drawn to what he was saying, drawn to him. Um, I think, you know, Jesus told his disciples that the Holy spirit would come. He would instruct you, guide you in all truth. He will, he will bring to mind the things that I've said, right? He's going to bring those. He's going to teach those things back to you. Now it all makes sense. Now, now in the context, there's, there's meaning to it. But I think in the, you know, in light of this, these things happening, I'm sure there was a lot of perplexity. Well, and one of the things that's interesting with the disciples, if you look at the disciples in the gospel versus the, go- the, the disciples in yeah. Acts, it's light and day. Mm-hmm. I mean, the go- in the gospels, the disciples have no clue what is going on. Right. They're constantly getting it wrong. They're constantly asking questions. Every <laughs> once in a while, they nail it. Even and you're like, oh, great. And then they blow it. Even in Acts 1. Yeah. Well, he's about to ascend, and they're yeah. like, you're going to set up the kingdom now, right? <laughs> yeah. And he's like, no, I'm leaving. <laughs> Come on, guys. Well, and then, and then they, they stand there looking up into heaven. And the angel has to come down. I get to see Jesus. I know. Going, I don't blame him too much hey, for that. I know you do. I, I could be like, angels, go go get those guys going because they're still starting. I mean, if I'm there and I'm watching Jesus ascend, I'm probably going to watch it. I'm actually just Dude, walk off. You don't like you don't like my juxtaposition of these ideas. Okay. Fine. But he, but the, but Jesus told them, hey, I've got a job to do. Me. Don't worry. The Father will set up the kingdom in his time. Right. You go be witnesses. Yeah. And they just stand there looking yeah. up. Angels made, are like, guys, guys, he said, go be witnesses. You just made the perfect Aaron face, just like your son. Okay, that that yes. was a perfect, that was perfect. <laughs> well, let's hope he isn't listening to this 15 years from now. He does sometimes have a little bit of a clueless expression. I'll give you that. Um, oh, it's very helpful. And he's the one that's not named after a disciple. Just, there so, you go. There you go. Um, so Jesus instructs, uh, or he predicts the coming of the Spirit, John 14, 15, 16. We're already kind of in there, Acts 1, Jesus instructs on the coming of the Spirit. Uh, this is a really interesting passage. If you go to Acts 1, uh, we find that for 40 days, Jesus has been teaching about the things of the kingdom. Uh, we see that, uh, let's see, uh, verse um, 3, to whom also... He showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the father, which saith he, ye have heard of me for John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy ghost. Not many days hence. So it's interesting. Jesus tells them, wait, 
don't do anything right now. And the implication is you're not ready. You, you can't do this until the spirit comes. And of course they come together and they ask him, Lord, will thou at this time restore the kingdom again, uh, again, the kingdom to Israel. And he said unto them, you don't need to know the times and the seasons. Don't worry about when, um, but ye shall receive power after that. The Holy ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses. So the goal is right now witness, you need power. And the one who brings that power is mm-hmm. the spirit. Um, if the disciples had just charged ahead without the Spirit, their work would have been a disaster. But they listened, they waited, the Spirit came, and the church was born. Mm. What does it look like for us who have been giving the Spirit to charge ahead without the Spirit in our in our lives and our ministry? I mean, I've been there, done that. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, you have to confess to that. And then you look back, you're like, wow, nothing eternally profitable was accomplished when I tried to do that in my own strength. And I think of I mean, John, John 15, Jesus is divine. Yeah. Um, but then also just relying on the Holy Spirit. Like I, I'm a preacher. So there's been times, unfortunately, that I have to confess. I sat down. I'm like, I did not rely on the Holy Spirit like I ought to. And it's pretty evident by the lack of response here. Um, and obviously you give the word of God and the Holy Spirit's going to, if you, if you speak truth, it's going to bring it to life in the life of believers. And that's happened too. Um, but I just think, what's it going to look like? It's going to look like me spinning my wheels, trying to accomplish something I, I can on my own. There's a lack of confidence, pardon, there's a lack of confidence that comes when we forget the nature of what it is that God's doing in and through us, and we get nervous, and we start to, we start to get flighty, we start to get, um, I'm I'm trying to imagine people, this is maybe something I felt myself, where I'm like, well, I gotta do this, I gotta do this, I gotta do this, well, when I'm following the Spirit, when I'm following His leadership in my life, there's there's an incredible calm that comes, Mm -hmm. Um, I'm able to do things, Mm -hmm. but there's a confidence in it. If we're rightly relating to the Holy Spirit, as the disciples did around the day of Pentecost and into the book of Acts, then there's going to be the confidence that will allow me to stand in front of 3,000 people and preach and the peace that will allow me to sleep while I'm chained up in a prison cell. And, and how do you, how do you put both those people? How's that the same person, right? How, Mm -hmm. How is Peter the same person that can stand up and lead this huge group? And then when it's time to go to jail, just take a nap. Right. Yeah, on the steps to the temple, by the way, like, like it's pretty awesome. Jesus. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. So, there, mm-hmm. so I think there's a we're we're the Holy Spirit so perfectly equips us to do this work that when it's it almost it's hard to describe it, I guess, but mm-hmm. like the Lord puts this thing together, He runs it through us. We're as thrilled about it as if we had done it all by ourselves. We're as humble about it as if it had nothing to do with us. It's both of these things together, right? It's yeah. like he wanted me and he used me. Praise the Lord. Right. I could have used anybody. Yep. Praise the Lord. Like it's, it's, it's very, it's not ambivalent. It's just balanced. I think in my heart too, there's a, there's a, na- I think in all of our hearts, there's a natural proud self-sufficient tendency that says, okay, I've got, I've got work to do. I'm just yeah. going to do it. You know, for mm-hmm. me, I'm writing these lessons. Okay. Let's pull up the passages. Let's work out the outline. Right, right. Okay, I got a lot of writing to do. You know, we I kind of have an idea of where we're going to go, and I've got to wordsmith it so that it makes sense. And, you know, what? okay, what questions? You know, and we just kind of, my default is self-sufficiency role. And I have found, and again, as, as Brandon said, I don't, I don't always do this, and it's to my shame that I don't. But it's important to stop in sermon prep or in mm-hmm. reaching out, you know, whether it be uh, in ministry. Who, who's going to be our next small sure. group leaders or what, you know, how am I going to take care of this discipline scenario with my children or, yeah. or, you know, anything to just stop and to say, all right, Lord, I need your help. And that's almost like exercising a muscle. Yeah. Like it's easy to just go in self-reliant mode and I'm just going and taking care of things and knocking it out one after another, one after another. 
without stopping and saying, okay, Father, I need your help with this. Yeah. And I think a, a helpful thought is that, at least helpful for me, has been we tend to think that if the thing that I'm doing is good, right, if I'm praying or witnessing or, you know, loving my children, whatever that is, um, that if I'm doing good, there's no way I can mess this up. They're my safe zones, right? I can mm. always just go and pray. And if I'm praying, then I'm good. Except James says, you ask, yeah. Yeah. miss, to consume it upon your lusts. That's not good. Right. That's not safe. Um, uh, you know, Paul, Paul's told, don't go preach there. We, we tried to go to Bithynia. We say to go into Bithynia. We mm-hmm. tried to preach the word in Asia. We're not allowed to do that, right? Isn't that safe, though? Don't we always tell everybody, just go witness. Just go witness. If you're witnessing, you're doing great. You can't possibly be doing that in the flesh. Not true. <laughs> you can be doing that contrary to the leadership of the Lord, contrary to the Spirit's leading. Is that a strange thing to say? Maybe. But it needs. we need to understand this. Jesus didn't begin his ministry until he was 30. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, people were... But then you think of Paul. I mean, he says, hey, there are some who preach Christ for selfish reasons, right? for gain. Yeah. But I'm, I'm thankful the gospel is being preached. Right. And the Holy Spirit's active on both sides of that. Yeah, uh, I was also true. recently act, asked the question, do you tend more towards, um, when you're preaching, relying on the Holy Spirit, or do you rely more on your preparation? And I really thought about that, and I said, you know, unfortunately, I think our default is to kind of put reliance on the Holy Spirit in certain buckets, only when I'm executing a ministry or executing some act of service. But walking in the Spirit is relying on the Holy Spirit in the preparation and execution of whatever God has called me to do. So sermon prep or preparation to lead my children isn't, okay, I prepare for it, and then I go do it, and that's the only time I need the Spirit. I need it through the whole Need well, and the, whole process. and the spirit works through means. Right. So as I'm studying, what, yes. do I, what am I doing? I'm sitting there and I'm asking the spirit to help me as I do word studies and look up resources right. and diagram sentences. As I'm doing all those preparatory things, my prayer needs to be, Lord, help me to do this. Guide my thinking. May I think true thoughts. Uh, may I think accurate thoughts. Help me to think through what this looks like in people's lives. Please keep me from error. <laughs> you know. And I know there's going to be mistakes in this sermon. There's going to be problems in this. I pray that you would help me as I go through the process. So it's yep. not because sometimes, again, we can set it up as I do the work or I'm praying, and right. I, you know, and I. It's either or. I'm either sitting there praying, Lord, help me, or I'm right. doing the work. So what's the balance on that? Is it fifty? Well, no. It's I'm praying throughout the process, mm-hmm. and yes, taking specific times where I sit down and say, Father, please help me with this. But as I'm going through, trusting in the Spirit's leading. I love the Spurgeon quote. He he said, um, "Let the preacher always confess that he relies on the Holy Spirit." Mm-hmm. Let him let him fold his sermon notes and stand there and wait for the Spirit to speak through him. So let the people be still and let them go home if the Spirit will not speak through their pastor mm. and come back some other day if the, if the Spirit will speak through them. And this is the man who wrote thousands of sermons. <laughs> <laughs> like, like so, so he, I think he means fully what he's saying. Uh-huh. I think he also, I think he also recognizes what you guys are saying. Right. Like I think, you know, can this Holy Spirit guide you in the study? Apparently, yes. <laughs> Apparently, yeah. yes. I think Spurgeon is a great proof of that. And uh, and yet his quote is good. It's very useful. If, right. I, if I'm doing this and I'm not trusting the Lord and I'm just a clever man with great words, then what have I done? Right. We've wasted everybody's time. Better to stop and try again later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's move on. We'll talk about the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost. And again, this is the flannel boards that you had as a child. Mm-hmm. Okay, what in the world's going on here? So, uh, let's see, Pastor Brandon, could you just read Acts 2, and uh, we'll say verses um, 1 through, uh, we'll do 13. 
Acts the- 2, 1 through 13. And the days of Pentecost was fully come. They were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with one another with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were, dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and the parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. We do hear them speak in our, our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in, and were in doubt, saying one to another, what, what meaneth this? Others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. Okay, so let's uh, let's break that down a little bit, <clears throat> and we're going to see uh, four things that happens with the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost. First of all, we see a great wind fill the room, or really, to be a little bit more technically accurate, verse 2 says, the sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind. Um, there's some connections linguistically between the words wind and spirit. In fact, in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. the Hebrew word ruach means wind, spirit, or breath. Uh, the New Testament word pneuma can also have that variety of meanings. Uh, the word for wind here isn't pneuma. It's slightly different, but it's related. It's the word nae, and you can even kind of hear how those are a little bit similar. So um, the point here is that this sound is of a mighty rushing wind is meant to symbolize the mighty rushing spirit. What are some of the connections that we see between spirit, wind, breath uh, throughout Scripture? So Jesus, Yeah, so Jesus said in John 3, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. The wind blows where it lists and... You hear the sound, but you cannot tell from whence it comes. So it's everyone that is born of the Spirit. So Jesus directly relates those things. Uh, yeah, I mean, you think of Scripture. My mind just went to Scripture is breathed out mm-hmm. by God. Second Peter says that Spirit inspires the Word of God. Um, so all, all of those connections are kind of coming to my yeah. mind pretty quickly. You have the Ezekiel uh, vision of the whirlwinds, mm-hmm. right? Uh, doesn't he seek? See a world, Job hears out of a whirlwind, mm. um, a couple of whirlwinds situations. Yeah, right? Elijah, there's yep. a there's a wind. Although that one's a little bit tricky because yeah, the Lord's yeah. not in, in the, the whirlwind. Wind. Right, right. But it, it it's still, I think there's still an, an association that, you know, that's a symbol that many people, you know, there's a great whirlwind, there's a great fire. These are both associated with God throughout Scripture. Mm. And yeah, in that instance, God was choosing to speak to Elijah through a still small voice. Um, the other one that I thought of was God breathed and demand the breath of life. Yeah. So there, there, do, there does seem to be this connection between spirit, wind, breath uh, throughout Scripture. Uh, so a great wind fills the room. And then secondly, we see divided tongues of fire. So this is kind of an interesting one. You've got three parts to this uh, image. It says that they are cloven, which is a fun Old English way of saying divided. They are tongues uh, and fire. So let's uh, work through those uh, backwards. First of all, it's fire. Fire is frequently uh, associated with God. Uh, in the Old Testament, any any uh, passages that come to mind when thinking about fire yep. representing God? Pillar of fire. Pillar of fire is the main one, probably. Uh, the altar in the tabernacle? The temple. Yeah, the Shekinah glory. Right. There's kind of a... Yeah, I'd kind of have to think about it more and look at the wording, but I think of the fire that came from heaven uh, on mm-hmm. during that scene with Elijah on Mount Carmel. Um, but yeah. I don't know that the presence is specifically mentioned there. Yeah, but. that one maybe... 
Burning Bush. Yeah, Burning, Burning Bush. Bush that's a pretty big one. There's fire. Um, when God comes at Mount Sinai, there's rumblings and yeah. thunder and fire. So um, several places in the Old Testament. So fire is often a symbol for the presence of God. So that makes sense. The presence of God is now coming and resting on them. Tongues kind of make sense because uh, it's a description both of the way it looks. It looks like a little tongue of fire, you know, that's, you know, lapping up. But what about, and, and they're about to speak in tongues, so there's, you know, probably a wordplay there. What about this idea of cloven or divided? Why would it be described as divided tongues of fire? Well, it's not just a conflagra- conflagration, that's the word to say. Not like the whole house is now in, you know, in this huge fire. Mm-hmm. You have individualized fire. Each person is a recipient of the presence of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit in their, in their person to do his work. Yeah, I don't know that I've ever really given that a, a ton of thought, um, and I haven't read forward in your lesson, so <laughs> I, I'm kind of interested to see where this is going to go. So one thing that I've seen that has been suggested, and I think it makes sense to me, is that it's emphasizing the fact that there's one spirit that's been divided, uh, to use later language, severally or individually to mm. each one. And so there's a unity there. It's one fire, it's one spirit, but he's been divided and, and d- divided amongst the other, so that's kind of akin to what happened with Moses uh, and the elders that were appointed, and then the yeah, you know, the same spirit that was on Moses is now distributed mm. out amongst those elders, and uh, so Jesus has the spirit come on him, and in that situation, we see it as a dove. I think we talked about it last week, mm-hmm. uh, and now here he's he's showing this in a different way, and now to all of these apostles, all these twelve. So, um. One of the things that we see here, Paul makes, I think, what I think is a similar statement uh, when he encourages unity among the divided Corinthians. He says, because we've all been made to drink into one spirit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Paul there is obviously uh, speaking about Jew-Gentile unity. I think that principle uh, applies more broadly. Actually, no, in 1 Corinthians 12, he's not speaking of Jew-Gentile unity. He's speaking of uh, believers who are divided over the use of the gifts and who has which gift, and I want that gift. And his his point is, all of the church is made to drink, has been baptized in one spirit. So if we are united in the Holy Spirit, why is there division among God's people? And this is a major theme. This is another one of those ones where you have, it doesn't necessarily occur naturally to us, at least to me. But as you read, it's a theme that kind of once you start seeing it, you start seeing it in a lot of places. The spirit brings unity. In fact, one of the systematic theologians that I was reading, Wayne Grudem, he has a whole section on the spirit unifies. That's one of the works of the spirit. So if the spirit brings unity, why is there such division among God's people? Well, I think obviously the division amongst God's people is something that ought to cause us great concern and pain. It's not something that the Lord is happy with. I think we ought to take it very, very seriously. At the same time, I think that um, it's amazing how God equips different people at different times to do different things and to, and to have him shift the way we're used to into the way he's now planned for the next step. Um, you mentioned earlier that the Holy Spirit came on certain people to work in the tabernacle. They, they were gifted of the Holy Spirit to do work in the tabernacle. They're skilled craftsmen who mm-hmm. were given greater skill by the Spirit of God to do this work. And so not everybody had that. Only certain ones did. And But, but, but Moses has the Spirit in some way on him uh, to do his work, and other comes to do different things. I think... One of the things today that we need to realize is that God has put different people in different places with different understandings and abilities and skills to bring the salt and the light to the place where they are. And that's very hard for us to let that be. We really, we really want to say, well, no, if everything were perfect, we would all be 
exactly the same. Well, no, that's that's not true. We're all going to be the original disciples didn't all stay go to the same place. They didn't travel in a in a twelve passenger van everywhere, right? They went they went different places. They were allowed to do different kinds of things. And I think we need to let the Holy Spirit of God. We will have unity, yes, in in kind, but we're going to let the Spirit of God have us do different things. There are certain gifts. We're fundamental Baptists, um, and so there are certain things that we bring to the body of Christ that the body of Christ needs. Right? There's, there's disciplines and thoughts and, and ways of living that are helpful for the entire body. Are we the only part of the body? No. There's other believers out there that aren't like us and don't walk like us. Okay, fine. Are there things they're doing wrong? Maybe. Are there things I'm doing wrong? For sure. Can we get, help each other? Yes. And I need to realize at the same time that all that's happening and we long for great unity, at the same time, there's going to be differences and there's going to be things that's not necessarily wrong. It just means I get to bring light and salt where I am. They get to bring light and salt where they are. Let's do it. Well, and that's what Paul's saying in 1 Corinthians 12. He's saying the whole body is not the same member, that there's diversity. And his point is, and it's true, there's there's a certain, what we're going for here is unity, not uniformity. Uniformity means go. everybody thinks the same. Everybody has to do things the same way. Unity means we're united around that, which really brings us all together. And so the spirit brings unity, not necessarily uniformity. We're going to think about things differently. I'm going to come to different conclusions about things than you are. That's okay. But there needs to be a unity. And again, what Paul is concerned about, and you see this especially in Paul, is the division that's in the church mm-hmm. that's not based on on the working of the spirit, but but on the flesh. I, I, I joked several times when going through this lesson in various settings. You've got to wonder, if you're, as you're sitting there listening to the book of Philippians read for the first time, and he keeps talking about unity. He keeps bringing up unity. And I almost you wonder. mind. <laughs> I wonder if they're like, oh, man, I wonder if he's thinking about Euodius and Syntyche. I wonder if that's kind of some of where <laughs> this is going. And then, you know, and then he re, and then he actually says it. I beseech Euodius and I beseech Syntyche. And if you're sitting there in the church, you're thinking, oh, man, he just went there. <laughs> he just read their Facebook post. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, man. He knows what's going on. <laughs> I wonder what the Apostle Paul would have done if he could have read Facebook. Oh, boy. But oh, boy. I say all that to say, yes, there's a there's a, a wrong view of unity which says we all have to think exactly the same and we're all and that's not what we're talking about here, but there is a unity that's important for the church that the spirit brings and that's often divided. And Paul sees it divided a lot. I mean, a lot of his letters are, guys, come on. We all have been made to drink of the same spirit. We all have the spirit of God within us. We shouldn't be fighting over these things. And the man who says that can't go on a mission trip with Barnabas anymore. Right. Yes. And so that's interesting. So, so, okay. Uh, <laughs> so what, sh- what could have happened there? Right. Could they not have said, you know what? Paul could have said, I don't have to have a division with you. I could say your burden for that. You know what? Go do it. Go do it here. I'll give you 10 bucks. You go, I'll get you started with these denarii. All right. Go, <laughs> g- 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 let me, ha- let me be a part of it. I'm burdened to go do this. You're burdened to go back there. Go with Mark, go do that thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard for us to be that, have that kind of equanimity where we're just like looking at it and go, it's going to be, God's got this. We lose the, we, when we don't walk in the spirit, we lose our confidence and we lose our calm and we act crazy when we should just be able to take one step at a time, do what God's showing us to do. It's funny you mentioned that incident because that one's kind of been on my mind recently. It seems like one of the newer trends in mission is, you know, group team ministry. You know, it's not just one couple going out here, but like a group, like two or three. And I'm in the, and their point that they make is, well, this is the pattern we see in scripture. Paul didn't go alone. Paul always went with a group and there were several of them working together. And I'm cool with that I'm, I'm all for that. At the same time, we've got to be realists and realize, yes, 
and there was division among the, uh, the apostles themselves, right? And so we just have to be ready for, and I've seen several situations where difference of opinion, it doesn't work out, and we kind of have to shuffle things, and somebody has to go somewhere. And I look at that, and I'm like, on one hand, you know, I'm sad to see that. On the other hand, I mean, Paul and Barnabas couldn't get along. So it's, it's I don't know, it's interesting. Don't wave the white flag. <laughs> what is What does unity look like, I yeah. guess, is some of these questions. We're getting a little bit off on a tangent, but this is, I think this is all going back to divided tongues of fire. It's the same spirit that's been poured out on, on all of the church, and sometimes he's using even our sinful division, as with Paul and Barnabas, and there's question, was that sinful or not, but at least the division there for his own purposes, because now we've got two teams going out, and they're covering more ground than if they'd stayed together. Well, I think, just to finish this idea, I think we do uh, missions with our friends. Uh, that's, that's what ends up happening even today. That's what was happening with Paul and Barnabas. They had a, they had a gospel friendship, and they went out and did it, and, uh, you know, that's a special thing. We ought to be trying to promote and to foster gospel friendships today. It's going to it's gonna be like you said, sometimes it'll take interesting turns and, and those friendships will morph and change. Uh, but we ought to, that, is, that is how the gospel went forward in the book of Acts. The spirit of God brings people together to do this work. Mm-hmm. That's what we ought to be anticipating today. Yeah. So as we wrap things up and we do need to wrap things up here, we see that the disciples then speak in tongues. Uh, you've got people who were born all over the world and you've got this small little group that speaks this language, this small little group that speaks this language, and it says they're now dwelling in Jerusalem. So probably these are people who have been able to make it back to the homeland. They're, they're Jews and proselytes, and now they're living in the land. And so they speak Greek, because that's what everybody speaks, and they also speak their native tongue, which is kind of niche and like nobody else knows. And the next thing you know, there's Galileans, uneducated men, speaking that language to them. And you've got to imagine that would be so weird. I, I mean, just okay, what in the world is going on here? Well, also to realize, hey, the guy next to me is understanding in his language and I'm understanding in my language. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I, I mean, the, it's like a church service at Colonial. <laughs> if you wanted to. <laughs> I mean, that's what's happening every Sunday with our translation ministry. That's true. That is pretty <laughs> cool. Not a direct parallel, but very. <laughs> there, there's some other, yeah. A lot of steps in between. Yes. I get it. But but the idea is there. And right. It's exciting. It's exciting to see God enable all these people to hear the gospel in the day of Pentecost and then also today. Mm-hmm. And you had to realize, too, that there's no way they could have, like, planned this. The, no. the, the amount of effort that would go for these, you know, 12-plus, we don't know how many exactly were in the upper room. It seems like it was at least the 12 um, and some others as well. The, the amount of work for this small group to have learned 20, 30 languages and just all start speaking them. Yeah. Well, I also no wonder way. when they realized that everyone was understanding their own language. Like, when did they pick up on that? Like, oh. All right, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think, well, you have the command of Christ. This is the beautiful thing about the power of the Spirit. Christ commands the disciples to go to all nations, to every ethnos. He tells them to go do that. And then the Spirit comes on them. And on day one, day of Pentecost, he enables them to do this to yeah, 15 cool. different people groups, representatives from them at least. That's amazing. So yeah. God, Jesus commands it. The Spirit empowers it. If we take away from that anything other than encouragement, we're not reading it right. The, the Lord the Holy Ghost will empower us to do what God's commanded us to do. We can do this work. And then that leads finally to our last point, the disciples testify to Christ. Mm. One of the problems with some aspects of the Pentecostal and charismatic movement is that they focus so much on the role of the Spirit that they ignore Jesus. And if you find yourself talking about the Spirit all the time and it never gets to Jesus, you've totally missed it. If you look at this passage, 13 verses describe the coming of the Spirit. That's verses 1 through 13. 
The next 27 verses are devoted to the preaching of the gospel. That's chapter 2, verses 14 through 40. Jesus said, when the Spirit comes, he will take of mine and he will show it to you, that he's going to glorify the Son. And so if we find ourselves talking about the Spirit and not talking about the Son, then the result is we're not really being empowered by the Spirit because when one of the signs that someone has truly been genuinely empowered by the Holy Spirit is that there is a focus on witnessing to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And, and um, those listeners in Jerusalem didn't need to hear they they didn't they those unsaved people didn't need to receive the the spirit of enablement to go do ministry. They needed to get saved. Yeah, and that's that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah. So the Holy Spirit through you know, works through these disciples to give those people what they need. And when we look around, we need the Holy Spirit's enablement to do the exact same thing. People need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need the empowerment of Jesus of the Holy Spirit to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very good. Well, I think we'll uh, wrap things up there. Next week, we're going to be back, and we're going to be talking about the role of the Holy Spirit in our salvation. And so uh, a lot that goes into that, and probably more than you even realized, and we'll talk about that as well. We'll be back again next week, Lord willing. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you then. See you. Talk to you later. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast. Thank you.